we're going to go back to our study in the Gospel of Mark, the shortest of the Gospels, the shortest of the four angles in which the Holy Spirit has captured the essentials of the life of Jesus, so the essentials of the life of Jesus, so that we can grow in our knowledge of Him. But before we go back to Mark 6, just a brief note on what we read yesterday on Thanksgiving Day from Luke 7. I call your attention to verse 47, Luke 7, 47. And the Lord says, Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Now, how does Jesus forgive people? I should say, to what extent would he forgive people? He will forgive anyone and everyone, regardless of where they have come from, what they've done, based upon their faith. As we saw, this woman expressed that faith. She broke into this private meeting in Simon's house believing that Jesus would receive her just like the Syrophoenician woman who was not a Jew at all she still pressed on and she got the deliverance for her daughter just like the four men that we read about the friends that carried the paralytic and broke open the roof tiles to let him down because there were so many people crowding the doors they devised a way to get their friend to Jesus somehow. It really shows tremendous faith, perseverance, and God commends that. It's a lesson I must learn, you must learn, we must all learn. We have to press in and not let Jesus go because it shows how much we really believe him and trust him and love him. Our confidence in who he says he is, that he will never turn away anyone who comes to him in brokenness. So, this woman had faith, and she came in brokenness, and obviously, the way she worshipped the Lord, the way she sacrificed her own pride and the expensive perfume, the kind of expression of love that she showed, wiping the Lord's feet with her hair and with her tears and kissing his feet. Everything showed the Lord. This woman was truly penitent, which means she turned away from her former lifestyle. She was a notorious sinner. No more. She came with this pure innocence of a child because of faith that Jesus was receiving her. That's the only way. We can't clean ourselves up, but we can turn to Jesus and believe that he can clean us completely. And that he will not only cleanse us, some people that may cleanse a person that comes from the street or even their own relative who's muddied up, but they won't want to touch them even after that. They'll put them in a corner somewhere. They'll say, well, I cleansed you, I bathed you, or I gave you the 
amenities and facilities to take care of yourself, clean yourself, but that's about it. Jesus goes all the way. He embraces every person he receives. This woman came in brokenness and faith, and she recognized the depth of her sins, and that's the point of looking one more time at Luke 7:47. Again, Jesus says, Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. She loved much. And to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. We established that the Lord will forgive all of a person's sins. He doesn't do anything halfway, provided they come with faith that he can do it, that he will do it for them when they meet the condition which is come truly repentant and truly believing that Jesus will receive them. A person who doesn't love the Lord the way they should, it's because they do not understand how bad they are. It's only when a human being recognizes the depth of depravity, the utter bankruptness of their souls. They were going to court to declare total bankruptcy. I have nothing. I have nothing to pay. I'm in deep debt. I'm looking for mercy. That's the way we must come to Jesus. Not come to Jesus and say, I have education and I have some street smarts and I have people that I helped and I did good works. And We must always remember the Lord said there are two people that came to the temple. One man said, Lord, you know, I fast and I give alms, I do all kinds of things. And he had a big smile that he had some credibility with God. Next to him there was a publican or a sinner when we say sinner, all men have sinned, all people have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But this man was, as this woman, eyed by people in society as uh, the sinner. Someone everybody knows publicly is doing things that are not right. Meanwhile, there are many people who go to work and they keep house. They do a lot of things, maybe even charity, but their hearts are corrupt, equally sinful. God sees through everything. So Jesus said, the second man wouldn't even lift up his eyes to heaven. But he beat himself on his chest as a sign of contrition, deep sorrow and penitence that I don't deserve anything from God. And he just asked for mercy. Jesus said, now here's the man that came, very religious, pious. He said, I have this, I have that. He came to boast before God in prayer. The Lord says, which of the two do you think went home justified that day? The man who said, Lord, I'm not even worthy. It's like the prodigal son. I'm not even worthy to be called your son. I can't come near you. Jesus said, that's the one I take. Very critical foundational lesson that 
every one of us must learn and relearn if necessary. We can never come to God and open our mouth and say, I did this. I have this God. And we must also remember that prayer is not a lecture to God, nor is it a performance for people to hear. Genuine prayer, whether in private or in public, must carry the absolute awe that I'm talking with the King of the Universe. He's actually being called upon by me. I better be careful that I now know and understand who I'm speaking to. As it's written in the book of Ecclesiastes, when you talk to God, be careful, let your words be few. Remember, he's in heaven, you're on earth. In other words, he's a God who's near, and he's near to the broken in heart, but he's awesome in glory, we have no idea. But the infinite power and wisdom of God Almighty. Familiarity breeds contempt, so the saying goes. Familiarity breeds contempt or scorn. We can never get too familiar with God. Although we're his children, we can come boldly to the throne of grace. We have to remember, always remember, the fear of God must be upon our lips, our minds, and our hearts. Otherwise, we're not honoring the Lord. And we can go into delusion, thinking that I know God, I have my worship songs, I'm going to get my worship on, and I'm going to get my good deeds on. And being a delusion literally have the devil take us for a ride thinking that we're very close to God and pious, religious. You have to always remember there's an unlearning that needs to happen for many people, especially in today's churches, today's brand of Christianity. You need to get back to basics. Remember, he's almighty God. Never come to God speak to God through one end of the mouth and then speak to the people who listen. <clears throat> Prayer is not that. Prayer is talking to the living God and having the same reverence publicly as we ought to have privately. There ought to be zero pretense a fight against any kind of conscientiousness, I should say, being conscious of other people present, being self-conscious. We have to deliberately train ourselves to shut out our surroundings when we talk to God because He's the audience. There's only one person. These things are essential really getting near to the living God and growing. Prayer is not a lecture, not a Bible study. It's not teaching other people who are listening. We can all do these things, but it won't be prayer. When we talk to God sincerely one-on-one, we fear Him. We understand He's awesome. That every word we speak, we better mean it. And never come to boast in God's presence, no flesh and boast in his presence. One of the problems that we see 
when we read the Old Testament and the New Testament, is that the Lord doesn't always act so swiftly under the New Covenant as He did in the Old Covenant. One of the reasons is because He had a people that He physically dwelt with, and should say uh, He was present in the tabernacle, and He led them by the cloud by day and fire by night, the pillar of fire. He had very intimate dealings with them. And they were a nation that He was he birthed and he was training them and he acted very swiftly when there was any rebellion these days we need to understand God hasn't changed but he's given us so much grace that we can actually go on doing things that are displeasing to him and never understand until sometimes it's too late or it becomes very severe better to heed the counsel of God this morning and say, I need to rearrange some things, the way I pray, maybe the way I worship, maybe the way I talk about me and talk about God. This will give us true biblical spirituality that will cause us to be such a powerhouse for God because we have no self anymore. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, Christ liveth in me. For the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me gave himself for me. This woman understood she was absolutely bankrupt and she had so much sin that in gratitude for what the Lord did for her by acknowledging she was no good before a holy God. She received everything from Jesus. And she was full of worship, genuine worship, and she expressed it in many ways, publicly. But the one that is forgiven little loves little the Lord doesn't forgive little. He forgives everything for those who come properly to Him. So it's a person that doesn't recognize how bad he or she is in light of the presence of a holy God that doesn't love the Lord the way he or she should because they think they have something good going for them. They're not as bad as that person over there or that person over there. There's a lot of false judgment happening. Meanwhile, there's a big log in the eye of that person. So the Lord keeps telling us repeatedly, deflate your ego. Don't boast. Don't try to be seen or heard. Don't try to bring your credentials to the table before God or before the church or anyone. That's an abomination to God. It's utterly disgusting to Him. But when a person comes broken, confessing, Lord, 
I need you. Change me, Lord. Change my character to be like yours. Help me to be really meek and lowly in heart. Then God's love will just flow through you. Flow through me. Who loves little? The one who's forgiven little. Why? Because of Jesus' fault? No. Because they don't recognize how bad they are and how much they need Jesus. But the one who understands how much the Lord forgave that person, they will just worship the Lord, put the hand on their mouth like Job, and say, let me just silently obey my Lord. Not make a scene, seek to show off anything at all. We have nothing. Nothing. But in Christ we have everything. But we always must truly give glory to God. Which brings us to a final point regarding prayer. That we can say all the right words in prayer. Give glory to God and hallelujah and amen and God, you said this and I declare this. And still, be repulsive to God or he doesn't want to hear anything. Why? You mean you can quote the scriptures, you can say hallelujah, you can say, God, I'm no good, you're everything, you're my all in all, and I thank you, and I praise you, I adore you, and still be repulsive to God where he says, I don't want to hear your prayer. Why? Because there's sin in the heart. Psalm 66, 18. If I regard sin or iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. I wonder how many people pray, Christians, so-called, God never hears their prayers. It's a possibility. Somebody said, that's ridiculous. How can a Christian pray and God doesn't hear them? God says, because he's holy. We need to really go to God first and say, search me, Lord. Search me. You search me, Psalm 139. You search me. Know my heart. I can't know myself, Lord, unless you shine your light. I need it every day. See if there's any creepy crawlies, anything ugly in my heart. I need a spiritual checkup every day. Try my reins or my mind, my will, my thoughts. Sift everything, Lord. I don't want a thing between me and you, Lord. I can't just say something generic like, oh, the blood of Jesus covers me, amen, let's get the next thing. No, no, no. I need to really know if there's something displeasing to the Lord in my heart, in my mind, my motive. Get that out of the way. Now, how do you suppose a person will come when they do it the right way? They'll be pretty humble. They really mean it. Then that worship becomes pure. The prayer becomes not a lecture, not a teaching point for other people who listen, not have an audience and how I sound. All that abomination will be out. It'll be I'm talking to my father. Whether it's two words or 20,000 words, everything will be from the heart and God will accept that prayer and God will move on behalf of that person. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Let's go to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6. And someone please read verses 1 through 6.
Mark chapter 6, NIV version, verses 1 to 6. Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things? They asked. What is this wisdom that has been given him? What are these remarkable miracles he's performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his own town, among his relatives, and in his own home. He could not do any miracles there, except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. Praise God. Praise God. They pointed out that we know this man. He's from our hometown, or we know he taught in our streets. We're pretty familiar with him. We know his mother, his mom is Mary. Brother James, another brother Joseph. He has two other brothers, Judas and Simon. Half-brothers, of course. And his sisters, they're here too. So they were wowed. They were amazed by his teaching not because it sounded authoritative only, but there was power accompanied with it. The devil let go when Jesus showed up of people's lives. They observed this. But this pride, this ugly pride was there that prevented them from benefiting from his holy presence. Pride is deadly. The person it will destroy first is the person who houses it. Pride comes before the fall, the Proverbs say. How can you see a man like no other man that they've seen? Cleanse the lepers, open the eyes of people who were blind, make the mute to speak, the deaf to hear. Raise people who are dead, as we saw. The little girl was actually dead. He says sleeping, but he was just saying it as an expression that he's going to actually restore her. But she was dead. These people knew death. That's why they came and told the ruler while he was en route with Jesus to the house of the home. They know death when they see it. But he raised the dead. Instead of falling at Jesus' feet and saying, you are more than just a man. You're from God. Please teach us how to follow God the way we should. Instead of that, they said, wow, look at what he did and all these things. It's amazing. But we know this man. We're very familiar with him. Familiarity breeds contempt. 
you never get too familiar with God that we start becoming buddy-buddy or think that, well, I know God, I can be careful how you use God's name. It's not just about refraining from using it in some kind of profanity. He remains the awesome God forever and ever, and only those who understand that will ever get near him. That's why multitudes who are going to churches, they'll actually be in hell. Multitudes who check off on a Christian on some census questionnaire, they'll be in hell. Because they have no understanding about what it means to have a relationship with God, what their role is before Holy God. He said, well, we know his family. Notice it says, and they were offended at him. Not unlike his own family, the very people, Joseph, Judas, Simon, James, sisters, and Mary, because there was a point in which they said, you're mad, Jesus. Too much going on in your life, too much miracles, and just go outside and show yourself to the world. Go, go ahead. We don't want you in the house. We we're getting annoyed. And did he do anything to annoy them? No. But it's the hostility that pride from the devil that caused them to kick Jesus out of the house. And so the people here did a similar thing. They were offended. How does that happen to a human being? It's that sinister, demonic hostility that comes from pride. Who do you think you are? Trying to show me up? by preaching better or performing signs and wonders or telling us that we're doing things wrong. It's not easy. We have to admit it's not easy for the human being, the human ego, to just humble himself or herself when corrected. Because immediately the flesh lashes out. I don't like this. I don't want this. I don't want to hear you. I don't want to see your face. I'm going to go find me someone new or some other place that accepts me the way I am. I don't need people to judge me, certainly not you. There's a whole mantra and whole defense mechanism that's deeply ingrained in human beings. And it may manifest sometimes very vocally or it may be silent, but nonetheless there's a lot of rebellion and anger and resentment. That's what this won't do in the kingdom of God. We need to identify whether God is trying to get our attention because that's the reason he gives us truth to change us that we don't end up on the Broadway. People are full of resentment, bitterness, bickering, fighting and vengeance and judging. And Anytime anyone speaks to us the word we may not like it, and it's okay to admit that. We don't need to pretend. We have a halo on our head all the time that we don't have any way of getting irritated. Depends on the maturity of the person, but it can happen. But the moment we recognize, you know, I feel terrible or I feel irritated, I don't like to hear this. Who's telling me what? Wait a minute, I'm going to back up one second. Lord, I can't live like this. I want to know one thing, Lord. Is it from you? And before I jump to conclusions, say it can't be from you, Lord, because I feel terrible. No. God will allow his people to feel terrible. 
when there's something wrong so they can do something about it. I need to say, Lord, I want to really understand, is this from you? <clears throat> what this pastor is saying or what this brother or sister is saying or what I've read in the Bible or the thought that came to me that I need to change something, is it from you, Lord? Please show me. A humble, sincere heart will always get an answer from God. Always. And that change that happens because of humility and genuine repentance can cause that person to become really great in the sight of God. The alternative is try to be great in one's own eyes and end up taking a big fall and even possibly falling away from the Lord altogether. These people were offended. They could not see the miracles with their spiritual eyes. They saw it physically with their eyes. They were wowed. They were amazed, but didn't go any further. Their hearts were so hard. They said, well, we know this man. And they were offended. Thankfully for Jesus' brothers, such as Jude and James, they repented thoroughly. They even wrote epistles in the New Testament. But not everybody repents, and that's the danger. We can never assume, well, I think it'll get better, and I'll be better tomorrow, and I'll save all my repentance for a rainy day when I get old. The time to repent is now. Say, Lord, break me down. How can God build this up unless he breaks down that which is faulty? I need to know. Are there areas in my life that are not right before God? Once again, we must underscore, it's not about drugs and immorality and blatant public sins. The more common types of sins that are deadly, as we keep repeating, are the ones that come to people who look all right on the outside. Good head on the shoulders, responsible, saving money, working and helping people and taking care of the family, and they take their car for the oil change regularly. They have their grass cut, they do everything, and but there's a smug self-righteousness, just deadly. There's a feeling of, I'm all right, not that bad. In fact, I'm better than this one and that one. These are the type of things that cause an offense all coming from this five-letter word which is really the root of all rebellion, P-R-I-D-E, which caused Lucifer to be thrown out of heaven. We know these things. We have a lot of facts in our minds and we've heard things so many times, but God's interested in whether we're applying to our lives and the hearts, what we've heard. So this is something to note. Jesus says in verse 4, a prophet is not without honor. In other words, he gets honor everywhere, except in his own country, his own town, hometown, among his own relatives and in his own house. Now this is a statement that is a general truth. As I mentioned, Jesus' family repented. Even Mary repented. She was found 
with the rest of the disciples, at least 120, waiting for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, for the, uh, to receive the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. So it's a general truth, doesn't have to be, but it's a usual occurrence. It really makes us perk up our ears, spiritual ears, and assess ourselves and see whether we are resistant to truth when it comes through a different avenue or someplace familiar. Sometimes it can happen in a church where God is working unusual signs and wonders. There's a combination of anointing and prophetic ministry that is genuine. And everybody's tasted and seen, but they can take it for granted and become very familiar to the point where they start thinking, well, I have so much I've learned that I, I feel really empowered and I think I can make some decisions here that they contradict the shepherds. But who needs to consult with them? I have it all. After all, it's a community. We come together to worship God. We don't need to listen to anybody. Just listen to God. It's all about God. You really get twisted by the devil in the mind and Head for disaster. We need to guard against that. A prophet is not without honor, except in his own country, among his own relatives, and in his own house. Do you have people in your family, your spiritual family, maybe your physical family, who, you know they're not perfect, but they're seeking God, and you know there's, there's a change, there's a difference. You know what God is saying? He's saying, go get some of that. Buy the truth. Don't sell it. When you see somebody walking with God, even in uh, maybe a seemingly small way, but you know they're doing something that you're not, humble yourself and learn and do the same thing so you can be blessed. We have to push pride out of the way because it's deadly for anybody, for me, for anyone. Nobody's exempt from the penalty of pride. We have to get it out. It's the worst weed. In anybody's spiritual landscape. And look at the results. This is the sad part. He is there latent with divine power to do miracle after miracle. Now, he couldn't do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick folk and healed them. In other words, we read previously that he healed multitudes. But we can shortchange our own blessing from God. We, no one else to blame for, ourselves can never say on that day to God on Judgment Day, Lord, but I wish you just broke through the clouds and like I saw a giant hand and picked me up by the collar and shake me a couple of times, God. I would have really believed in you. God will say, I did so much in front of your eyes. So much. You never humbled yourself to follow me. You gave me lip service. Now is the time to say, Lord, I don't want to be found on Judgment Day. 
coming up short. It's going to be horrible. Today, I hear God's voice. I have refused to harden my heart. I want Jesus. I want all of Him on the throne of my heart. I want His life, His love, His everything. God help me. And you know what? God will not only do wonders for you, He'll help you navigate through every work of that serpent, the devil, and overcome him and be a blessing to many people who are in bondage by the devil, held in bondage, held hostage. What a glorious life to live. He couldn't do it here. And he marveled because of their unbelief. There are times in which the Lord marveled. He just was expressing his deep surprise or amazement. God can be delighted. God can be made very happy. He's a person. We're made in his image. Certain times the Lord marveled because of the faith that certain people showed. He expected it of all his people, but only certain people showed it. He marveled at that, but he also marveled at their unbelief over here. Certain people, he couldn't understand. How could you be so hard in your heart? After all I've done, you know how we can allow the devil to distract us, pile things up on top of us, a lot of cares in this life, the bills, the family, this and that, and just crowd out the essential thing for my soul. I need to take all the stuff I face in life and bring it to the feet of Jesus and say, Lord, you haven't meant for me to be crushed under the load of this. Yes, I have to be responsible. I do have to think. There will be stress. It's not a stress-free life. However, I could come to Jesus and say, Lord, you told me, Lord. You told me, Lord, First Peter 5, 7, that I should cast all my cares upon you because you care for me. Is that just a sentimental saying that God cares for you? So just kind of invisibly roll your... No, it's a literal thing. To go to God in prayer. Lord, I have the bills. I have this. I have so much coming at me. Jesus, please help me, Lord. Lift the burden off of me, Lord, and help me. Oh, if we would practice that sincerely with faith. How we can receive so much from God. He said you don't have because you don't ask. The devil's busy many times to prevent us from praying and asking. And we start going on this autopilot, take things as it comes, take things as they come. We get burnt out and then he's right there. Well, what you need is a drink at this point. You need to catch a movie you need to go to your fridge and just empty it now in one shot. you got to do something. It's just too much. I need to step back and say this is not the way to handle problems. I need to go to the problem solver, the Lord Jesus. You know why? Because the Bible says in Romans 8, to be spiritually minded is life and peace. The Prince of Peace embarked in this town. Hardly anybody benefited. Why? Because they didn't have room for him. Beware of the devil distracting you, piling up things, making you busy, that you can't bend your knee before the Lord. 
at least once during the course of a day and many times in your heart saying, Jesus, I need you. I love you, Lord. You love me more than any other person. You gave your blood for me. You died for me. You're everything, Lord. And you've helped me yesterday. You've helped me through the night, Lord. Teach me how to be victorious with you. I want to grow. And he went about the villages in a circuit teaching. So, God comes around. He's not partial. He's equal opportunity. But it depends on the person, whether they will receive from the Lord or not. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And he called the twelve to himself, verse 7, and began to send them out two by two and gave them power over unclean spirits. We need power. We need to wait upon the Lord. It's so much that he has for us. So much. Nothing in this world can ever compare to it. Nothing. Which means that we need to reprioritize our life and say, Lord, all that heaven has for me so I can change this world for Jesus. I must get. I understand. I have to be humble, faithful, teachable, spend time with you. Would you trust somebody who you don't know? Would you give your car keys to a stranger? Would you even give $5 to a stranger? One that keeps coming to you. A whole bunch of strangers. Or do you feel comfortable entrusting others with something important or valuable when you really know their character? How can God give us anything unless we have verified or have been verified as being truly loyal to Him? We won't back out we won't deceive him or try to deceive him. We can't deceive God, but we can try foolishly. We can have two loves and three loves instead of one true love, Jesus. But if we have those qualities, God will gladly give us power over unclean spirits. At this point, these 12, including Judas, they were obviously, all of them, they were very sincere. Judas too. But then he began to be proud, conniving. He started lusting after money. Eventually that led him to sell Jesus for silver coins. And he ended up committing suicide. The devil just took over. That's how deadly sin is. May start with a little bit, little bit of, you know what, I'm going to cut corners here. I'm going to take a little bit, just a little bit. I'm going to take a couple of pens from the office. I'm going to take... Nobody will know. Besides, they have a thousand of them over there. I don't need to ask anybody, but it's still pilfering and stealing. It doesn't belong to us. That's how people can build up that lifestyle of thievery, dishonesty, and it goes into relationships and it touches everything in their lives. Eventually, it'll take over and destroy them. Happened to Judas. But at this point, notice it says, and he called the twelve. Judas was included and began to send them out two by two and gave them power over unclean spirits. The devil hadn't entered Judas here. It's when he began to have secret conversations and friendship with the devil that the devil finally took over and possessed him. At this point, he was good. And the Lord says, take nothing for the journey except a staff. 
no bag, no bread, no copper coins in your money belt, but to wear sandals and not to put on two changes of garment or tunics. In other words, he says, I'm sending you and this is the way you're going to go this time. It's a journey of faith when we have to follow Jesus, trusting him that he will make everything well, no matter how hard it gets, because the path of the cross includes trials and tribulation. How can love ever be proven then? How can faith ever be tested? Don't they test gold through fire? Don't they refine it through fire? So at once, the trials and tribulations that we face as believers, they serve to test our mettle, so to speak, whether we are genuine. Secondly, to purify us and make us even better. Only God can do that. But backing up here to verse 7, we need to understand the principle, as Jesus himself said, when they charged Jesus at a certain point, they said, you are casting out devils by Beelzebub, the Lord of the flies or the Lord of the devils. He said, how can Satan cast out Satan? doesn't make any sense. I'll tell you how it happens, how I cast out devils. I'm stronger than Satan. I tie him up and I set the captives free. That's how it happens. I'm not with the devil. He's my enemy. That's why I bind him. I put him in his place and I set the people free who he's held in bondage. So Judas could not be given power over unclean spirits if he had an unclean spirit himself at this point. So this goes directly in the face of false teaching which is very abundant these days especially, that says, well, Judas was never saved to begin with, and that's why he ended up. How is it possible for the Lord entrusting to him authority from the Holy Spirit during this season to cast out devils, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead? He was among the band. He was given the authority. It shows that a person can be saved, genuinely saved, genuinely fall away and be lost forever if they're not careful. We have many scriptures to show that and we have written an extensive article on that and it's not a private interpretation at all. You see that in the Bible itself and people for centuries have understood that. But we're in the last days so there's a very popular teaching and say that once you're saved, you're signed, sealed, and delivered. You can't be unsaved. God won't disown you. But the Bible says he will if we disown him. See then the book of Timothy. If you deny him, he will deny us. Now someone can have a doubt. They can be assaulted by the devil and he can try to condemn them. That's not what we're talking about. We can overcome doubts and say, Lord, I'm sorry for thinking this or that. I love you. And I, I don't know what came over me. Or I was under the pressure, Lord, and I, I said a lie. We don't have to. But if any man does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, with the Lord, Jesus Christ, the righteous. We can go to the Lord and say, I don't want to do this anymore. Sin against you in any way. And we grow in holiness. 
That's entirely different from somebody deliberately saying, well, I'm going to live immorally. I don't care what you say. I don't care what pastor says what, what Bible. I know that this relationship is not right, so I'm going to break this one and go and physically cohabit with this one. And this doesn't work out. I'm going to break that one. And you know what? I'll still be going to church. I'll be doing my tithes and offerings. I'll be doing charity. But nobody can dictate to me how to know God and live for Him. I know. That person will definitely go to hell. Because the Bible says in Revelation, outside of the gates of the holy city, the alternative is hell, lake of fire, are the people who are sexually immoral, among other things. There's a pure doctrine which we must follow where God's people really are holy. Not just positionally, they're actually walking in holiness and they're growing in that. And when there's some deviation, we can fall at Jesus' feet and say, Lord, you know, really be sorry and say, I'm going to watch this thing like a hawk. If ever the devil tries to tempt me in this area, I'm going to do everything I'm supposed to do to avoid it, to overcome it. That's a sincere person. Also, he said to them, verse 10, in whatever place you enter a house, Stay there till you depart from that place. And whoever will not receive you, nor hear you. What is he speaking about? They're representing him as his ambassadors. They're speaking his word, not their own two cents. That's what he's getting at. When you speak the truth as it is, and people don't want to hear it, he says, shake the dust off from under your feet. When you leave that place, there's a testimony against them. I tell you the truth. It will be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. That place, that house, those people. When you and I go to people, family, friends, and relatives, and tell them, Jesus loves you so much, but you cannot offend him and think you can get away with it. He's a holy God. There are only two roads, only two destinations. There's no purgatory, there's nothing. The Bible says only two places you can end up in, heaven or hell. And they're opposites. One is a place of tremendous joy, eternal activity and love, overwhelming love, joy unspeakable. The other place is almost unimaginable suffering and torment, loneliness, screaming, gnashing of teeth, worms biting you but you can't die and fire never stops burning your soul and your body. Are, are we going to be faithful to God and really love people and tell them the truth? And what happens if they say, well, I don't want to know you. You know, you sound very judgmental and you're telling me I'm going to go to hell. And we just tell them what Jesus said and that we're all under that commandment. It's not our personal commandments. We all have to obey God, believe the gospel and follow him if we're going to make it to heaven. The person says, I don't want to know you. I don't want to hear from you. In fact, as far as I'm concerned, I disown you. You're no longer my brother, my sister, my mother, my father, my child. Because you're getting very, very weird on me with this religious stuff. Well, they did that to Jesus. The definition of weird and cultic 
and bizarre is when somebody tries to manipulate you to get something from you and control you that they can look good and make you look bad and keep you as a slave to them. That's manipulation. That's cultic. That's evil from Satan. That's what he does. But Jesus comes and he just says the truth to help us and bless us. But will you and I pass the test? Like the disciples here, tell the truth in love. If they don't want to hear it, you're not obligated to bow to them, bow to the pressure and adjust the message. How dare we? How can I compromise the truth that shows that I love the people more than God? It's dangerous. But when I love the people as I should, I'll pray for them. You see, that's what love does. Even when people act nasty and you know they're not in their right mind, the devil's making them hostile and making them think all kinds of thoughts about you and the message that are not even true. You pray and say, Lord, open their eyes and God can do a miracle. We must never compromise the message and be prepared. Be prepared when the Lord says, step away, to step away. Don't try to linger at that point because that point you'll be part of the problem. These are deep spiritual things we need to learn and be led by the Spirit, what to do, when to do, and how to do. But the point here is, the Lord said, it is so dangerous when you go as a little nobody, so to speak. Just tell them Jesus loves you. He wants to give you everlasting life. He died on the cross for you. But it's not just something to enhance your life, make a you get a little sparkle in your in your smile and a little zest in your life and spring in your step. No, no. The alternative is hell. So you need to repent and turn to the Lord. Make it to heaven. The Lord says, if they don't receive that simple message, I'm telling the truth. Remember what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah? Two angels wiped the place out and the surrounding regions with horrible fire because they're so wicked, so abusive, so murderous, so immoral, so perverted. God said, enough is enough. He waited. God always waits. He's very patient. But the time had come. Jesus is saying here, remember that? If people don't receive the good news about me from you, those two cities that were wiped out, they stand a better chance on the Day of Judgment than the people I send you to. Wow. How sobering it is for us to know who the Lord is and what His Gospel means. Now the stakes are so high and how the message is urgent. How love will constrain us, the love of Christ, to tell people the truth, whether they like to hear it or not. Because... Some will hear. They'll be eternally grateful. So they went out and preached that people should repent. See? They didn't go and say, Jesus loves you, Santa Claus loves you, and let's all have a good spirit and good will toward men and have the Christmas spirit. You know, have the Santa hat and go and buy things, maybe even give things away. Everybody's happy. Have some liquor on the side, some disco music and you know, I love family, I love people, I love food, I love fine arts. 
absolute great time of the year, the most wonderful time of the year. These people said something unpopular. They went out and preached that people should repent. What? But notice, the message carried the power and they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many were sick and healed. What a ministry. What a high calling. How it cuts through the tinsel town and the fake foil, the glitter and glamour. Oh, so much of a letdown. It's like eating a candy bar loaded with tons of sugar. Give you a quick high, then you come crashing down. That's what the holidays are. For people, even people try to mix in Christ with it. No concept. God is awesome. He loves us. He's trying to change our lives for the better. He's trying to come into our families to make things beautiful. He wants to take the sorrow and the burden out. He wants to take all of that ugliness and the stress. Jesus wants to give us a real Christmas. He wants to give us himself. He wants to change us. He wants to love us. He wants to prevent us from unnecessary misery, even forever. But he says, you got to turn to me. In order to turn to me, you got to turn your back on the devil and the things of the world. What are the things of the world? God doesn't say don't enjoy. He says don't get deceived in thinking that what the devil gives you will make you happy because it won't. It's a deception. It'll hurt you. But I have good things for you to enjoy. It comes from my hand. So come near to me. Now God can use us to bring hope to the people. He's saying, this is the hope of eternal life. Even Jesus, and I'm his follower. I am. It's the best life ever. I can't even begin to describe to you what he's done for me in my heart without breaking down because I know like that woman in Luke 7 where he took me from I want you to have the same joy Jesus loves you like he loves me he's the reason to am alive and I have one purpose to worship him in everything I do and bring other people to him so they can enjoy him presence Father we thank you Lord for the truth that arrests us in our tracks so we can take a good look at the glory you have for your children Lord eye has not seen ear hath not heard nor has it occurred or entered into the heart of man what God has prepared for them that love him. We love you, Lord. We want you. We need you. Jesus, once again I pray, lift the burdens of your people off of their shoulders, off of their hearts. Take away the heaviness, Lord. Give them garments of praise even today. Jesus, oh Lord Jesus, your God who comes through when we're scared, when we're troubled, when we're burdened. There's nobody like you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. 
We praise you. Help us be ever thankful, ever grateful to you, and to show it by really serving you, following you, obeying you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for giving us the truth that's been hidden from the people in ages past. We've been privileged, Lord, to know the true gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, as we come to the close of this year, several weeks that are left, Father of glory, I pray that we have a tighter connection with you, Lord, really get to know you even better. That my God, by your mercies, will enter the new year full of your spirit. So that you can work the works you want to work in us. Absolutely unhindered, Lord. That many people will be saved while this time. It will make our Father's heart glad. I pray, Lord, heal your people. Lord, I pray. Lord, those who have discomfort in their bodies. Lord, touch them, Lord. Dismantle the work of Satan in Jesus' name. Curse it in Jesus' name. The authority of the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as your servant, Lord, I pray for your people in Jesus' name, that you release them, Lord, from any affliction in their bodies, in their minds, and weighing their hearts. Lift the burden now, O Father, loving Lord. Let your joy flood them today. Your deep peace guide them. And deep fulfillment and satisfaction be theirs, especially by the end of the day. Father, I give you thanks for this. I give you thanks. Praise you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.